This episode was pre-recorded before the Afterlife Awareness Conference that was held in Salt Lake City, Utah in June of 2019. This conference has since concluded, but if you would like more information about the conference or to watch the live stream, please visit path11productions.com slash AC2019. And thanks for tuning in to the Path 11 Podcast. I am your host, April Hanna. At the Path 11 Podcast, we are here trying to deliver leading-edge research on consciousness, healing, and metaphysics. And just like you, we are trying to answer the big questions about life. Who are we? Why are we here? And what is our purpose? We hope by listening to our podcast, it will make each day you live on Earth a little easier to understand. And now for today's podcast. Hello, everyone. Today, we have another person that we are speaking to who is going to be a presenter at the Afterlife Awareness Conference in June 2019 in Salt Lake City, Utah. And today, I would like to introduce you to Dr. Sonia Lott. And she has a PhD in counseling psychology from Temple University and has been a licensed psychologist since 1991. She has more than 30 years of clinical and academic expertise in death, dying, and bereavement and many related conditions such as depression, anxiety, and trauma, and through her own experiences of loss and restoration and spiritual transformation. She is also going to be one of the Friday presenters, and if you purchase a live stream ticket, you will be able to see her talk. It's Friday at 2 p.m., and she's going to be talking about why every grief process is unique. So, Dr. Sonia, hi and welcome. Good morning. Thank you, April. Really yes, yes. Yeah. So why don't we, um, I know we're going to have a great conversation because we're both in the same field here. So I would kind of love to know, you know, as you become, you know, a clinician in working with, you know, mental health, social work, uh, psychology, all of it, that sometimes we all come to finding our certain niche in the field that we're really drawn to. So I'd love to hear how you kind of made your way into death, dying, and bereavement. Well, the short um, story is my mom died um, four years ago. Um, A little bit of a longer story is um, very early uh, in my training, my master's program, I... um, had a calling to grief, um, death, dying, and bereavement, but um, I was really too afraid. Um, I hadn't yet done my own work. I was pretty young, I was 21. Um, so I hadn't really um, had any experiences with death and I um, just, I was too afraid of death and dying. Um, and so it always stayed with me, sort of nudged in the back of my mind. And so I, entered into academia and began to teach death and dying uh, through the lifespan development course um, and always emphasized that and helped um, students to look at some of the uh, ways of thinking, you know, around what what they thought happened after death and the fears they had and, you know, all of that um, in my teaching. Um, But it wasn't until my mother died four years ago that, almost immediately I knew that it was time to do this work in this way. So that's actually when I transitioned back to clinical work after many years in academia, never thinking I was going back to clinical. (laughs) Um, But it was something about, well, I, you know, I'd grown up spiritually since the nudge at age 21, obviously, but um, 
there was something about such a profound loss, um, one that I had never experienced in that way before. And I'd had many loved ones die before, but there was just something very profound about mom's, the loss of mom in the physical. Um, that I, all I can say is that I was broken so beautifully open um, that I knew that it was time and I had to do this work once I did my healing to help other people to um, allow themselves also to be broken open because we really don't have a choice. That's really the path through, you know, um, to be present to that broken openness, for lack of a better term, and to transform um, from that place upward, you know. Um, and so I went into back to clinical um, and um, I've been doing that ever since. And would you mind sharing a little bit about um, just the grief process with your mom? Were, were you actively participating as she was making her transition? Um, was it a quick death or? It was a uh, very quick and unexpected death. Okay. Um, she had been diagnosed 14, well, more than 14 years before, but she had been told 14 years before that if she left the hospital to go home to think about having uh, the particular surgery that they were recommending she had that day, um, that she wouldn't uh, make it through the night. And um, she made a decision that she was going to um, stay prayerful, take her medication and, and ride it out, is what she said. Um, my sister, I have just one sibling, and um, we said to her, you know, we will support you in whatever it is that you want to do. The surgery would have come with a whole host of, of, of risks. She could have died during the surgery. Um, so when she said that she didn't want to do it, we said, you know, well then we won't do it, you know? And so she lived a really good quality life um, for many, many years, so long that we had lost the fear or awareness of the idea that she could die any day. And so she um, she had uh, multiple aneurysms, aortic aneurysms. And so um, one rupture uh, while sleeping, um, my sister, she lived with my sister and if she didn't come down by a certain time, come downstairs to the kitchen, my sister would take her coffee to her upstairs in her bedroom. And so when she went up that morning to take her her coffee, she found her. Um, so we were really, you know, stunned. And this might also be, um, I don't know if you would like to educate our listeners too on, I think the stages of grief are helpful to kind of, to give a little bit of explanation about what people can go through, whether it is a very quick and sudden uh, death that happens, if it is, even if it's somebody that has been diagnosed with a terminal illness and they've been very sick for years and you're kind of watching them. Um, but maybe you can also talk about what it's like to go through some of those stages when it is a bit of an unexpected death like you experienced with your mom? Well, you know, I don't believe that there are stages that apply. Um, I don't know if you're thinking of Elizabeth Kularosis. Um, right. Mm -hmm. okay. um, there's not, those stages don't really apply um, um, 
as it relates to the grief process, they definitely, um, as she originally proposed, in regard to the person who's experiencing the dying process, they may experience those stages, you know, the denial, the, um, um, uh, I'm sorry, bargaining, depression, um, anger, acceptance. Um, but as it relates to uh, survivors, our grief process around having lost a loved one, it's um, not really linear. It's not, it's met much, it's significantly more messy, if you will. And it's very unique. Um, for most of us, even if uh, uh, there is a, a quote, a period of time warning, we know that the death is imminent, um, there's likely to be shock when it actually happens. Um, or sometimes numbing. But when it is unexpected, it, it can be more shocking. Um, but it doesn't necessarily mean that getting to acceptance, um, getting to the place where our hearts can um, hold the truth of what our mind knows, that our loved one is gone and they're not coming back, getting to that acceptance or acceptance in that way um, is it can be very it's just very unique how we get there. And there are a lot of factors that um, affect that. Um, and I can talk more about that if you'd like. Sure. Yeah, I would, I would like that. And I, I would agree with you too. It's not like, you know, if people, if this is the first time that people are hearing the stages of grief and, you know, sometimes I, I, I tend to forget that even though this is our world, yours and mine, and we, we talk in maybe some of these terms or understand this through our education, that this could be something that a person is hearing for the very first time. But I would agree, it's not like all of a sudden you're going to be in denial, and the next step is anger, and the next step is bargaining. Right. And, you know, I find that when people, um, um, you know, because that it's readily available online, um, those stages, um, and I think it's tempting for us when we are feeling broken open and just messy to try to um, grab something that can concrete specific that can um, look like it might be a path for us. But I think there's also danger in, um, and this has been my experience in working with clients um, uh, because my practice is almost exclusively just working, you know, with grief um, that people will uh, feel like something is wrong with their journey or they are off or um, something's wrong with them, really, if they aren't following these stages. Mm -hmm. And so it's really important for me to, communi to communicate to individuals that whatever your path is, that's your path. And there's not a right way, wrong way or a, a correct way in which it should um, progress. Yes, I 100% agree with you. <laughs> So would you like to move into a little bit more of your explanation? Of my explanation? Yeah, of um, of how you were talking about moving more into how the process kind of unfolds. Thank you. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, um, um, it uh, when we think about grief, we think about, and grief is the, you know, emotional, um, well, more complex, but the emotional reaction to the loss. Um, and we think about sadness as being um, what grief is about, but 
grief can be a host of physical, cognitive, and emotional um, reactions. Um, cognitively, we can have difficulty concentrating. You know, it looks a lot like, quote, major depression. Um, we can have difficulty concentrating. We can have um, uh, forgetfulness. You know, uh, there can be a lot of guilt. Um, particularly if um, it's a loved one who committed suicide or if it's a child, you know, um, parents feel like they are the protectors of their children. It's their duty, if nothing else, to care for their children and they fail if their children um, die. And so um, it can be a sense of guilt. People can have difficulty sleeping, loss of appetite. Um, and again, it's not major depression, but it certainly looks like it in these ways. Of course, there can be sadness or, you know, crying. There can be anger, particularly with men. Um, men are more, we give men per, more permission to be aggressive, so they may display anger more than the profound sadness that they're feeling, much like women do. Um, so it can be a host of um, um, poor inability to make decisions. Um, all of those things can be present at once. Um, and so um, what's really, really important is, one, that you have the right type of support. Um, and I know I was listening to Mitch Mesner's um, presentation just the other day, who's also presenting um, at the Afterlife Conference, the podcast that he did with you. And he spoke a little bit to how um, in Western cultures, um, we're really very isolated and people um, join us at a memorial service or a funeral and then they go back to their living and there we are <laughs> you know, sitting in our loss. So having the appropriate support, um, and when I say appropriate support, it's not having friends or family say, call me if you need me or uh, come over and clean your house without asking you if that's what you need in that moment. You know, um, we tend to want to help and we will do what we think we'd want somebody to do for us or perhaps something we found helpful when we had a loss. But it's so it's it's so much more important um, in regard to support being that you're present with the individual. That maybe you just, when they're um, open to a visit, you just go and you sit with them. You let them tell the same stories over and over and over again. Um, you know, um, you ask what it is that they, they feel they want or need, and they may not be able to articulate it. That might be your signal that they just need you to be present with them, to be able to tolerate their sadness. And I think that's the biggest gift that we can give, but that's the type, and that's the type of support that helps us to heal. And on a personal level, through your own healing, you know, through your grief uh, with your mom passing, what are some things that you feel were really key in assisting you to, you know, I don't know if we ever really truly move forward, you know, but, you know, I like on your website, you say you're helping people to transform their experience of grief and loss. So what were some key things that were helping you and maybe still helping you to transform your experience of your grief and loss with your mom? Mom, <laughs> um, my mother um, uh, presented herself through a medium the same day that she died. Um, and um, it was, 
it was life changing. She um, shared, I mean, she was free, she was happy, she um, was her typical bossy self. Um, she <laughs> she said what she, the color that she wanted to wear um, for her funeral. Um, and uh, when the a woman shared that. Mom said pink. I said, "Oh no, purple's her favorite color," and Mom was saying, "No, pink, pink," you know. <laughs> and um, she also shared where uh, my sister and I would be able to find the papers that um, we would need um, to take to the funeral home. And I thought we had everything we needed. It was just a. It was. It was a lot. Um, you know, um, she made all of the references to make sure I knew it was her, our sort of inside jokes. Um, and um, the next day when my sister and I went into her bedroom to, uh, I had said to my sister, you, you know, figure out what, you know, for her to wear and I'll look for the papers. And we closed the door to her bedroom and there on the um back of the door was um, a hanging apparatus to hang, you know, clothing on. And there was a beautifully um, ironed pink um, <laughs> uh, matching skirt and blouse. It was right there. Wow. <laughs> and <laughs> so I went to the um, uh, drawer where she instructed me to go and to look between this and that and there were the papers that in that moment I still didn't think we need we need it but when we went to the funeral home we need it um, so I had had um, you know experiences like that loved ones through mediums coming back um, in, in, in um, clear ways like that but there was something so different about this one and it seemed to open up to me um, it was almost like a permission giving for mom to be present with me um, in that way. So I've been communicating with her ever since. She told me I had to do her eulogy and what I, you know, I what was important for me to communicate to our loved ones. Um, she guides me in my work with my clients. She supports me in those ways. So th that was the most that knowing of the ongoing relationship that a my mother was free she was um, good and that she could um, assist in ways now that she couldn't when she was in a body temple um, so having that ongoing connection was most healing for me um, I had a lot of support um, I was able to um, just fall forward and allow myself to be right where I was and love myself through it, to be very kind to myself, to um, uh, have permission to need to um, not do anything on a particular day, whatever it was I needed to do to take care of myself. But the ongoing relationship with mom was the biggest. Wow. Yes. I love, yeah, I love hearing stories like that. Now, do you find it all... Um, you know, people that may struggle with their own spirituality or yes. maybe do not have a belief in something more or, yes. you know, just really don't feel that there is an afterlife, that you're here once and you pass and that's it. And they may not have an experience like that or to communicate um, with their loved one. Do you find that a person's grief is more difficult for them to move through without spirituality? 
I find it's more difficult for people to move through it if whatever, if they're questioning their spiritual or religious beliefs. Not um, so much if they don't have them to support them, because many times people who have been quite religious until the time of the death of their loved one will say, well, where was God in all this? What kind of God would do this to me? You know, particularly if it was a, a tragic um, death, you know, what type of God would do this to me? You know, I go to church or I believe or I pray or I, you know. Um, so there's actually um, 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 a concept of complicated spiritual grief um, that uh, speaks to that type of um, complexities around um, the question of previously held. And it tends more to be more uh, religious and spiritual beliefs um, that are being questioned. And um, it's one of the things that can uh, increase the risk for complicated risk down the road. Um, okay, that's... Go ahead. I'm sorry. No, I was going to say that might be a nice segue into just um, giving a brief... Um, you know, explanation of what complicated grief is and how you're going to be addressing that at the afterlife awareness conference. So let me say that any grief is complicated, right? <laughs> right. Yes. So when we say complicated grief, um, um, we mean it in in a in a way that's different from you know just it's not about pointing to the complexities of the process just anyway because it happened. Um, it has more to do with. Um, there being a period of time, and this gets controversial, um, particularly for sometimes this time frame is, is difficult for bereaved people to receive. Um, but clinically, we talk about, um, let me just say this. I've done advanced training at the Center for uh, Complicated Grief uh, at Columbia University School of Graduate School of Social Work. Um, Catherine Shear, um, the psychiatrist create, who created uh, this protocol that we call complicated grief therapy. Um, this is a framework that um, comes out of that paradigm. So um, um, the, it, it's the idea that at least six months have passed, usually it's longer, where a person's grief process uh, uh, has gotten stuck that maybe 10 years down the road, the person's grief is still very acute. It's like it just happened. Um, the very, um, they're, they're, they, they, um, something has happened along the way where they haven't gotten through what we believe to be a natural adaptation process. Um, I believe, and um, um, many other therapists believe that we have the tools. It's just sort of naturally we have the tools with the right support to be able to allow our loss to eventually become more integrated into our lives so that it's in the background and not the foreground. You know, we never stop grieving. Um, We never stop missing the person. We will never stop having moments where we hear a song on the radio from many years ago or see a picture that just breaks us up and it feels like we just lost the person. But with complicated grief, those moments of being broken open are almost all the time. It's the person's way of being at least six months again, I'll say, but usually much longer before they come for um, a treatment. Um, 
or get to the um, a therapist who can help them at that point. Um, where you know six months or longer, where their grief is still very acute, where they're still avoiding. Um, perhaps uh, we see this sometimes with parents uh, cleaning out their their child's room. The room may be um, uh, just the same as it was when the child, the last time the child left the home um, before the death 12 years ago or a year and a half ago. Um, they may still have their um, clothing that they had out for the school dance at night on the bed kind of thing. Um, they may avoid... Um, going to um, uh, um, places they used to go with their loved one many years down the road. They may be more socially isolated, unable to talk about the death. Um, those are all signs of uh, complicated grief. And they also have maladaptive ways of thinking about um, the loss of their loved one. They may still be feeling guilty, responsible, um, that they should have done something different. They may still be questioning if perhaps they had to make a decision about life support, um, if they did the right thing. Um, so it's just really sort of a stuckness that um, profoundly interferes with their ability to function. Yeah. And, you know, if there are people listening and, you know, maybe they might say, oh, my gosh, yes, that is me. You know, my my son's room, it's it's still decorated in that way. And even though we have company that comes over, no one is allowed to sleep in his bed or in that room. Mm -hmm. Yeah. How if, if somebody is listening and identifying with that within themselves, what do you suggest is kind of the first step to begin to maybe move that grief a little bit so it's not as quote unquote complicated, but really starting to take those steps to put it more in the back than in the forefront. At that point, I would say the clinical intervention is needed. And I want to be really clear. It's not a judgment around something's really wrong with you and you better go get help. It's more of there's help available so that you don't have to be in this place because you must be suffering and you don't have to suffer in this way. Do you yeah. know what I, do you know what I mean? Yes. Yes. So, um, I think it's really important to see if you can find a therapist who's trained in uh, complicated grief therapy. Um, Catherine Shear and um, her team um, have done uh, several studies uh, funded by the uh, National Institute of Mental Health um, uh, where they're comparing um, interpersonal therapy, which is very commonly used for grief, um, for any type of grief, complicated or otherwise, and the complicated grief therapy protocol. Um, and the complicated grief uh, therapy protocol has been found to be more um, um, uh, effective in helping people to shake loose a bit or loosen or uh, get unstuck in really um, important ways. Um, and so my recommendation would be to reach out for help in two ways. One, um, I would recommend going to the Center for uh, Complicated Grief website. And if, you, if they just Google that, Center for Complicated Grief, um, the website will come up and there's a therapist directory, um, um, therapists around the country, most are on the East Coast, though, that are trained in the protocol. But also there is an app um, that is very useful um, that people can 
use. It's through the center also, and it allows, um, and it's specifically for parents, but it allows for um, communication with the team at the Center for Complicated Therapy. Um, people using the app can send in questions and ask for recommendations, um, support, resources. Um, so I'm looking for that um, right now for the app. Um, so um, April, if you would be wonderful enough to keep me moving while I'm <laughs> sure, yeah, no. Wait, okay, I found it. You got it? Yes, I'm sorry. That's okay. Grief steps for parents. Grief steps for parents. Wonderful. And um, it will send you a reminder every day. Mine is at six o'clock in the evening um, asking you if you've um, uh, used the app today. Um, there are a lot of there. there are, it's it's like really, really good information here. And I just urge even if you're not a parent, um, but you're dealing with uh, loss, grief um, to check out the um, app. It's totally free. Um, and there are charts that talk about grief. Um, it's really very, it's a very useful app. So those would be my recommendations um, uh, as a start, particularly with the app if um, uh, people are not comfortable seeking help or if they um, aren't able to find um, a therapist in their area. Um, Great, so I, thank you. Mm -hmm. Yes, thank you for those resources. I'll make sure that we also put those in the show notes um, so okay. people can uh, click on those links. And if we have any listeners in the Philadelphia area, you can meet Dr. Sonia in person <laughs> or have a free phone. You offer free phone consultation. Yes. So maybe we can talk a little bit about um, what you, what services you do offer. So if people are in um, the Philadelphia area and I was just in Philadelphia, but I went to the conference center uh, at the end of April. So I don't know Philadelphia that well. So maybe you can also let people know, you know, what section, you know, where you're close and if uh, people would like to come to speak with you. Awesome. I'm in the North west section of philadelphia um in an area called east mount airy um very next it's next to chestnut hill um and i uh work with people dealing with pre-death um or anticipatory acute and complicated grief um and also loss around um uh grief around other losses you know anytime we quote lose something we perceived to be of value, we experience a grief process. If it um, is a job, if it's a relationship, a marriage or a partnership, um, if it's uh, the loss of a dream of something, you know, um, loss happens in many different ways, but there's always a grief process. And um, when I say that I help people to transform their experience of grief, um, I mean that I help people to perceive their experience in a different way. Um, it's not to say that you're gonna, um, after therapy, you're going to be joy-filled and skip out into the world like you never experienced grief. Grief is lifelong. <laughs> I wanna be so clear about that. Um, but again, it's about helping people to recognize that and to 
be present with their experience and to see their experience through new eyes, um, to be able to seek the appropriate support. Um, I typically invite in, um, invite the clients to bring somebody who's supportive into a session or two with them um, to help them to solidify that support, you know, in the process. But it's really about helping them to change their perception about this inevitable place that they're in. Um, and then from that place um, and, 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 and loving themselves through and allowing themselves to be present to and sit with it and let it be okay and suffer less, if at all possible, um, then to look at ways to build new meaning in their living um, um, now that this loved one is no longer here. We tend to... Um, we tend to grieve. Um, grief tends to be more profound for us uh, if we were really close to the person, if there was a really secure attachment with the person. So if that's true, where we have a really secure attachment with someone, that person was a source of support. If they were a partner, they were our identity so much tied into um, uh, being a couple or being a parent. And so we have to figure out who we are again. So that's also part um, and how to move forward in a way with purpose and oftentimes in a way that honors our loved one um, who's transitioned. So that's what I help people to do um, in, in regard with their grief. And if it's prior to the person dying, um, I help them to um, uh, have the to try to have the conversations, to say the things they need to say, to um, try to heal whatever um, needs to be healing um, or healed before the person transitions so that uh, the likelihood of having complications with grief decreases significantly, if that makes sense. It does. It does. Well, I'm so happy you're you are doing this work in the world. It's, it's much needed. I also love the fact that you also, um, you know, mentioned that you work with all different types of loss and grief. It doesn't just have to be, you know, experiencing the death of a loved one or someone close to us, but yes, you're right. Loss takes so many different forms here on earth. Um, but I really look forward to meeting you in person in Salt Lake city, Utah at the afterlife awareness conference. I'd, I'd also like to give our listeners a uh, 10% off of the live stream. You would just have to put in the code podcast 10 and you can find the live stream membership at path 11 productions.com slash AC 2019. And if you are in the Philadelphia area and would like to speak to Dr. Sonia Lott, her website is Dr. Sonia Lott, <laughs> D-R-S-O-N-Y-A-L-O-T-T.com. Um, check her out. And uh, give her a call. She'll offer you a free phone consultation, which will be great. And we'll get a chance to meet in person. So thank you so much for being a guest on the Path Loving Podcast. Thank you, April. I'm really grateful to have been here. And also, if I can just add one thing. Yes. Uh, I also offer free uh, video um, consult as well. Wonderful. Um, okay. Okay. Good thank to you know. so much. Peace All and right. blessings, everyone. Same here. I look forward to our cup of coffee. All right. Me too. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Take care. Bye. 
Thanks for listening to the Path 11 podcast today. I hope you all enjoyed this show. And if you haven't checked out our Patreon page, I'd like you to do so because we are going to start putting some content over there that is only for our Patreon subscribers. You can get content for as little as donating a dollar a month, and it could just be a one-time donation. We have other freebies over there that you can get depending upon how much you would like to donate. And again, it could be a one-time donation, or you can continue to keep your subscription on a monthly basis at that donation level. But I just put my MBT immersive experience, which was a four-day intensive meditation training in Tennessee with physicist Tom Campbell. I was listening to binaural beats, going to altered states of consciousness, having out-of-body experiences and life-changing experiences that I was able to bring back uh, for myself, for my clients, for my friends. That was just out of this world. So if you would like to listen to that, I'd like you to head on over to path11podcast.com. You're going to see an orange button that says Patreon. Become a Patreon today and you can have access to that podcast. And I would like to remind you to head on over to path11productions.com and check out the membership that we have for the Afterlife Awareness Conference. We have over 25 hours of footage with amazing speakers like William Buhlman, Thomas John, Terry Daniel, Suzanne Geisman, Suzanne Northrup, Linda Fitch, uh, Austin Wells, just a few people uh, to name off that were amazing. These workshops are just so valuable. So I think that you would really enjoy it. It's also a great thing to think about to maybe give the gift to somebody who is struggling with grief. If you are looking for resources, this is a great conference to send people to to check out. And thanks again for listening today. 